Sorry, I do that because I'm using like a separate order as well as a bit of an experiment, and I might need to like all stitch it together. Sure, you never have to ask me uh, or give me an explanation as to why you want me to give you the clap. I'll do it any day. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to uh, Better Homes and Dungeons. This week, a sense of humor in the bedroom. Why quips and chains are far better than none. Sorry, that's... (laughs) (laughs) I love these jokes so much. They're bad. They've been bad. Sorry. Um... (laughs) Shit. Those are the best damn sadism and masochism Jokes. Wow, the BDSM, that was fantastic, good job. <laughs> many, many would say that, in all honesty, like, my puns are bad enough to be quite masochist, like, quite sadistic. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're a punishment unto themselves. Yeah. And if you're interested in punishment, what you should do is look up the current um, attempt by China to genocide the Uyghurs in their uh, region, in certain regions of their the horrible, horrible bullshit setup. You should go do that right now. Go look it up. Write a, a letter, maybe, to someone who represents you politically, telling them that they should take this into account. Yeah, just pause the podcast. We'll be here. We'll wait. No, no, don't pause. Go do it now while listening. Oh, that's super efficient use of your time. Yeah. I, you know, time, life is, life is short. Get shit done. Um... <laughs> Every, if you did pause, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> if you did pause, look, we'll be here talking anyway, so that's fine. Um, um, now, with me today, my two guests are um, Jaron R.M. Johnson. That's me. And some other dude. Oh, hey, that's me. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Who are you? Other dude. Uh, my name is Other Dude. That's great. <laughs> We already have that bit on this podcast. You're going to need to pick another bit. Okay. Uh, I am uh, Brad Roberts. Oh, I know you. Do you? Yeah, don't you work with me on so. I do, in fact. Oh. And I'm in your home right now, so it'd be weird if you didn't know me. <laughs> Super true. Very true indeed. Um, so, um, Jaren, you're like, what, a month or less from, like, Final product and shipping? Uh, a month is probably an accurate assessment. Uh, before, maybe a little over a month before we have kind of a final digital proof, uh, and then it will go to shipping. That's pretty cool, man. That, that is the culmination of a lot of work. Yes, and an unbelievable, egregious amount of work. Much more than I think any of us expected when we signed on to this project. <laughs> Well, you know, you'll always have this to your name, and that's excellent. That is true. I think I think we're all pretty proud of it. Yeah, you spend so much time working on something, and it sort of becomes a part of you, yeah. and it's like, <laughs> yes, I can remember um, when I years ago I was um, I was doing my degree, and I was doing the whole work full time, study full time wife, children, other life, everything, which was, it was a stupid workload. But I remember when I'd finished and the first night when I, I'd done everything and 
after dinner, my wife said to me, hey, um, what have you got planned for tonight? And I said, oh, I should really like look at that assignment. And then I realized I don't have to. <laughs> and oh, gosh. I had this weird, I'm going to go with existential crisis where I sat on the couch for a full five minutes, unmoving, like practically catatonic <laughs> because I didn't want to read. I didn't want to go for a walk. I didn't want to play video games. I didn't want to do anything that wasn't uni, but I didn't have any uni to do. Well, uh, thank you for the yeah. foreboding sense of panic that you have instilled within me. Well, that's okay. Uh, I'm greatly looking forward to my oh, own existential crisis. I, I would also point out, like, I don't drink, so, I mean, that was off the table as well. But, I mean, if, I if you do... I'm oh, really doomed. It's a good place to start. That's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> existential crisis. The best places to start. <laughs> no. Um, so we have a spell called existential crisis, don't we? <laughs> nice. Can I can I ask what happened after the five minutes? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> I, think oh, I, no. I think it was actually more than five minutes. I think it was, it was actually closer to ten because I was just like, "Oh my god, what am I doing with my life?" Um, if I recall correctly, I think I put my little boy. Like she took care of our um, our little boy, who I think was like two or three or something at the time. And so she kind of just gently sat next to me and we just watched some TV. And then I think I played some video games and failed to fall asleep that night. So you and I can just cuddle and watch TV, Brad. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Well, look, it's an option. (laughs) That's true. If Colin doesn't beat me to it. (laughs) That's true. Fair. And so... We, I wanted to have a bit of a chat to you guys about a couple of things. Um, the first was the latest Unearthed Arcana update from Wizards of the Coast for 5th Ed, um, and it's Psionics. Um, what do you guys reckon? Uh, I'm going to let Brad start here. All right, then. Uh, so I was excited for this because they released some Psionic stuff when 5e first came out. A month or so after, and I, that might be wildly wrong, timeline-wise. <laughs> um, but I was sort of excited to see what they've been working on in the like behind-the-scenes type, th- <clears throat> behind-the-scenes type thing. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, and I really like Psychic War. <laughs> I really like Psychic War. Oh, don't say it. You can't say it. I don't like the rest. Soul Knife is okay. Oh, but, uh, I have... The spells feel kind of lackluster to me. Um, I, and okay. we were... Jared and I... I'll be sure. Jared and I were talking a little bit about, uh... uh the wizard. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh... I'm not gonna lie. I have very mixed feelings on psionics in general. My feelings uh, continue to be mixed reading this. Um, I have not been looking forward to it forever, but I think that the warrior is kind of like if an eldritch knight was a paladin, which is neat. Uh, it is neat that its 18th level ability is kind of like a paladin's 20th level aura thing. Um, yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about. It's the one that turns the paladin into a space marine. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, and then uh, the the uh, rogue is uh, really edgy and kind of silly and not super internally consistent. Uh, but that is still, I think, a playable class and an interesting class, one that I would have fun with. I have many, many, many bones to pick with the internal consistency of the wizard. Okay. Uh, oh, geez. Uh, so... It's not super clear, and I'm sure this is by design for flavor purposes, but it's not super clear what what specific role psionics have in the wizarding world, uh, the Harry Potter pun precluded. Um, is, it, is it a source of magic? Is it a vehicle for your magic? Is it the fabric by which you weave magic? Like, what, what is psionic power? Um, further, I think it's kind of silly that the entire premise of the class is you can channel your psionic energy using your brain in order to cast magic. I know, I'm so hung up on this. You can Mm. channel... We've been arguing about this for an hour. You can channel that energy using your brain, but you still need a focus. And I think that that is kind of silly. Uh, I think that your focus... I think it'd be more interesting if the focus that you had was your brain. Uh, I I would point out, like, in every game I've played, I have never required a player to use a focus. That's good. That's that, solid. And, and I, like, I, it's, I, it's a flavor thing, as far as I'm concerned. Like, right. Um, I, I, I think it's fun to require a player to have one just because that means that that player can lose it. You know, it's something for that player to get attached to and take care of and be mindful of. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. But I just think, from a lore perspective, it's not very internally consistent. And then further, the examples that it gives for psionic focus specifies that it cannot be a magic item... And then gives oh the example of a coin that only ever lands on its edge, which to me sounds quite a bit like an item with some magic. And Brad is like rubbing his head so stressed out that I, th- I think the it. I think the thing they're trying to say is it can't be a magic item, like it can't be like braces of wizardry or you know ring of ah oh shit ring of protection. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. When do we get to make a ring of ah shit for Merka? <laughs> uh, so I, I think you're right, but I think just, just put it in one of the expansions because I, <laughs> I I remember you were talking about doing an Australian thing and it's like no you don't want to do that. Oh, but I do, and oh, I want you to write do. it. Okay. <laughs> I realize this is not legally binding, which is the only thing keeping me safe right now. But it might be ethically binding. <laughs> Well, I did say it. He's got me recorded as... as uh, um, I got you on tape. Yeah. I'll just get... I'll rope Ethan into it. He needs something to do. Perfect. He's funny. You seem to have some thoughts on it. Yeah, let's hear yours, Josh. I'm... I, th- I think my thought is like... Eh. Um, okay. Yeah? Okay. How many years ago... with our negative talk that we've taken you off it. Pardon? We were worried that with our negative talk, well, I was no, worried. No, 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 Jared no, no. Has no. Like, I, I've read it, and um, I mean, read, reading the psychic warrior thing, I think it's like I would, re- I would say it's okay. I probably wouldn't play this class because the rune knight is available, and the rune knight is mm. baller. This is just, it's okay. Um, yeah. You know, like, the augmented defenses, okay, that's actually quite useful. 
But the augmented strikes is kind of like, well... Yeah, it's a it's only lame. once. If it was every strike, that would be awesome. That would be worthwhile. Like, you know, if, if you look at it from this perspective, like, a fighter is there to do a lot of damage in hand-to-hand combat and to absorb a lot of damage. And this, I mean, from what I can see, they don't get action surge, they don't get... Oh, well, actually, no, they still get action surge. They still get all that good stuff. Sorry, ignore me on that. And... Um, but if you look at things like they don't get superiority dice, they've just got this constant 1d4 that they can do once. That's actually like, guys, that's nowhere near as good. It's not as flexible. It's not as cool. Um, yeah. I think also telekinetic hand should just be like a kind of like a free action to push someone. That would have been cool. And I know there's the like thing down the bottom where it's like a feat. And you can just do it, and that's cool. But that takes away me taking a different feat, which might be cool. So yeah, my, my take on... with that feat anyway. Well, it's not so much a bone, it's more just a why would I bother with this? Um, and, you know, look, the, the level 17 thing, cool. Sorry, 18 thing, rather. Yeah, cool. Great. You become a Jedi. Great. Um, not... Amazing, just not terrible, I guess. Um, I think for me, like, when they said, hey, it's psionics, I immediately thought, oh, cool, because I remember psionics from Dark Sun, the, the video game D&D thing. Mm. You guys did not play that, I'm assuming. Uh, I did not, but I've read a lot about it. I've been I've been going through my uh, uh, Arcana book, the, the art book, and looking at all mm. the Dark Sun art, which is just so awesome. It was great. And, I mean, a lot of people are thinking... They're either going to bring back Spelljammer or Dark Sun as a world book because all of their stuff at the moment is all like Forgotten Realms, and it's like, guys, you have so much more material out there to work with. You know, cool, you brought out Eberron. I might have a look at the book if I can find someone to borrow it from, but I'm not going to buy it because, my God, I don't have enough time to run an Eberron game. Um, but you know, when I read Sionics, I thought, oh, okay, cool, like there might be something interesting. Um, the roguish archetype I thought was okay as well. Um, I would have given the two-handed fighting proficiency with the psychic blades because mm-hmm. it, it seems like a cool thing to do. You know, you're immediately proficiency and can fight perfectly with one in either hand because it's an extension of your will. That makes sense to me. So I would probably just give it as like a little bit of a flavor thing. Um the the psionic enhancement it's like okay yeah these are all right but i mean it's kind of like the assassin build for rogues it doesn't do a lot i suspect they could have done something much better with say like a monk and tied this to key use and that might have been kind of more interesting Okay. Yes. No. Yeah. Brad oh, okay. Talk- cool. Brad is talking about the monk, uh, the the idea for a psionic monk too, which is just Jedi with extra steps. But I mean, why why pull uh, a punch? Why not just go you know all out? Well, do monks, a Jedi monk? monks never pull punches. That's why their unarmed roll is really good. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. What about the spells and feats? Because I have thoughts on both feats. Okay. I have thoughts on feet. 
spells. Um, okay, a lot of these are from Dark uh, Dark Sun that I remember, but Dark Sun also had a disintegration spell, which was great because it just killed people. Now this is back in the old days of Second Edition, so just killing people with a spell um, was really normal. Is it like a save or die ability? Yes. Mm. I know a lot of people in the community have very mixed feelings on that. I have mixed. I think if if you're going to make it part of the game, it has to be very, very understood that it's part of the game, and everyone has to be very cool with it being part of the game. And I think also you should have a way of bringing people back into the game, or they're just sitting around for a couple of hours, you know, doing Mm, little... Yeah. So, that's a thing. Um, Look, I think they're okay. I think... I mean, I like Psionic Blast. Like... Uh-huh. it's potentially better than Fireball. And I like that. That's cool. Like, that actually gives you a really good reason to take that kind of thing. Um, the... Where is the cantrip? I mean, I also like um, Ego Whip because I would make Devo jokes. Um, <laughs> crack that weird. <laughs> um, the Mind Sliver is good because, I mean... It kind of, I mean, it hurts people, which is great. And, I mean, the, oh, the other thing is not many targets have really good intelligence saving throws. Mm-hmm. Which actually gives psionicists a really, really cool way of being a bit more effective. Because dexterity, constitution, these are really, really normal. But charisma and um, intelligence seem to be kind of like very few monsters off the top of my head have really amazing saving rules against those. Yeah, what's interesting too is uh, Mind Sliver has the potential to be... Uh, it's kind of like a Eldritch Blast with extra steps, and it has the potential to overpower Eldritch Blast as a damage-dealing cantrip, which is nice. It's nice to see Eldritch Blast dethroned. Yeah, I mean, but, the other thing yeah. I like about it is it's got something similar to... Uh, a vicious mockery in that uh, it hurts and it applies a nerf and I think that's actually pretty cool yeah that was a cool Jared what do you mean it can overdo Eldritch Blast does Eldritch Blast damage increase yes I haven't played Warlock that many times that makes sense that's what I was missing yeah, it, 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 it levels up at the same time. I mean, I would have loved them to increase the, the nerf as well. That would have been great. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then, like, you could have a case where it's like, okay, the the psionicist sets someone's up, and then someone else just absolutely destroys them with, like, unavoidable damage, which, again, gives you a cool kind of party mechanic. So I think the wizard, I think the psionicist as a class has some chops, or at least these spells yeah. have some cool stuff. Um, the feats, mm, like the telekinetic ones, <laughs> pretty cool. Mm, so here's the bone that I have to pick with telekinetic. Pick and this. This again is is probably you know getting maybe too nitty gritty. As a DM, it's very easy to fix this, right? Uh, but <clears throat> the the shove with mage hand bonus action. Mm. Uh, specifies that you can only push the creature five feet away from you. Uh, Which is kind of silly since Mage Hand works in three-dimensional space. You should be able to push the creature 
in any direction or specify maybe uh, five feet away from the mage hand. Mm. But I mean, I don't see why, if you can lift an object and then bring it physically close to yeah. you, I don't see why you couldn't shove that creature closer uh, to you. I that that reads to me... Yeah, that reads to me more just like kind of a minor lazy copy error. Like, yeah. the target is shoved in five feet in whichever direction you like. I mean, admittedly, th- this for me would be my um, Jedi Academy 2 <laughs> moment, where I'd be, like, shoving people off things or pulling them off things. Like, I'd be, like, if yeah. I had someone with this ability in my game, I would deliberately have this archer up on this 30-foot tower. He's shooting arrows down it. How do you do it? I shove him. Great. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the idea. It's just, I mean, rules as written, although ignored by many, that doesn't make it not important, right? I think it's still important to, to say what you mean and mean what you say to the best of your ability. So I'm hoping that that change gets made before, you know, like a, like a final published version of that spell. Or sorry, yeah. of that feat. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to ignore it. Rule of cool always right. beats rule as written. Agreed. Agreed. The thing that I have, my thing with telekinetic, is that it takes your full action, with the exception of movement. So you've got to use your... your. Uh, it's the word I just said. Mm-hmm. Action? Thank you, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, you got to use your action to summon your mage hand. And then you got to use your bonus hand to push somebody. Um, and that's cool, I guess, if you don't have anything else. But, like, using a full thing, like, an action and a bonus action to do something that might not work if the person rolls good, Hmm. that feels super lame to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I see what you mean. Like, in this case, like, I mean, reading the notes, I would just have my my mage hand out all the time. Yeah, because it—I mean, it's—it's it's a cantrip. So I would just ha- like I would just say to the dungeon master, my mage hand is always cast. Like I am casting it all the time. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a, that's an easy way for a player to adapt to it. And again, it's 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 a rule of cool. Like I have the ability to move things with my mind. I don't need six seconds notice. You know. Oh look, my yeah. drink is over there. Nope, got it. Do you want to talk about your uh, feels on telepath, Brad? Uh, oh, I have feeling. Mm. Okay. Um, so you're telepathic, but you can't read someone's mind. You can communicate with them telepathically into their mind and to yours. You can have conversations back and but you can't read it. Uh, and you can do that, I think, in one of the subclass. One... There's a spell called Detect Thoughts. Yeah, there's a spell called Direct Thought. But if I'm a fighter, and let's say I'm a a champion fighter, I wanted to take Telepathic to sort of uh, round out my character a little bit more, I'm not going to be able to detect thoughts, which is like the definition of Telepathic. Yeah. Yeah. I see your point. Like, I like the fact that they made it also, like, a it gives you a little intelligence, but it also gives you, like, a um, a social skill ability, which to me makes sense, and that's cool. Um, I mean, it could even leave, like, say, a feat available called, like, empathic, where you can get a better read on people, and you'd say, you know, 
increase your intelligence by this, you gain proficiency in insight or... Actually, no, probably just insight. And once per combat round, you can choose to make someone roll or re-roll an attack. So roll a disadvantage or just re-roll a successful attack as you read it coming in and you're like, oh, no. Which, you know, again, it's, 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 a, it's a minor kind of thing to create now that we've got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you're right. I think it's a, this is a really good starting point. I think this was the right time to, to bring it out and start soliciting feedback. Um, and, and from my understanding, when they bring things out for feedback in Unearthed Arcana and changes ought to be made, they typically are pretty good about making those changes. Like, this is close to definitely finished. Definitely a sonic situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's close to finished, but definitely not finished, which I think is, is totally fine. I mean, I, overall, I, I think the consensus is kind of like, you know, eh, maybe it's not really my thing. Maybe it will be someone's thing and they'll really, really love it. Most of these are, I think, fine additions to the game. Hmm. Here's I mean, the other thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. Uh, that I love about Psionic is it stands alone. So in a game where I'm not running with magic, right, where there's uh, very few to no wizards, I would totally allow Psionics, and it would really stand out there. But in a world where there's magic and Psionic. This is very meh. Well, mm. I, mm. I remember um, Dark Sun had uh, magic as well. Like, you'd have, like, the cleric, the druid, the mage, all that kind of thing. But a psionicist had really, really cool, interesting abilities that were like, okay, this is magic, but it's different kind of magic, but it has its own way of doing everything. Also, it has disintegrate, and that's... Awesome to use. <laughs> and when is in five E, isn't it? It is, but in second edition, it was like roller, you're dead. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit different now. They at least give you a fighting chance. <laughs> <laughs> Not just no, 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 stiff shit, buddy. <laughs> Tear up that character yeah. sheet. Go get another. I think I like having that fighting chance more just, just because it, it... Like, I'm imagining, as a player, how much more rewarding it is when you succeed at something like that. Uh, or, you know, how much how much more relieving it is when you manage to stay alive and, and, and make that save. And it's, it's a lot... It becomes... I think it opens the door for more role-playing rather than, like, dice role-playing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, I mean, it feels particular. It feels awesome to come back from this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, that's that's a fair point. I think if I think if you as the DM are, are creating this as like you know a dire situation, but also providing an opportunity to to recover from it in your own kind of flavor of the game, I think you're right. That's that's a pretty good way to balance that. Mm. Well, it's all about expectations, right? Because yeah. we have a friend, Colin, actually likes to run. He has a setting that is super brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's the type of thing where if he were to start calculating encumbrance or tiredness or, like, uh, a bunch of those other stuff that people typically write off, mm-hmm. it would feel at home and it would feel appropriate. Uh, and so in a... In a uh, I'm stuttering a lot, I'm sorry. That's all right. 
I do the in same thing. a really rough game like that, in a really what's the word I'm looking for? Unforgiving. Maybe. Unforgiving game like that. This integration spell like you're talking about is fantastic. It's terrifying. Hmm. Which enhances the play. But uh in most five E games in most D and D games I've played in, and three five included, um, I don't know the disintegration spell. Any spell where it's save or die has a place. Yeah, maybe well, not doesn't have a place, but it does. Doesn't have a place as kill? commonplace. Is that still a thing in five e? It is. It is, but I don't know it. Ooh, power word kill. You utter a word of power that can compel one creature you see within range to die instantly. If it has 100 hit points or less, it is dead. Otherwise, eh, nothing. Oh, dang. Yeah. Well, there's your save or die spell for 5e. Um, yeah. No, it has no save. There is your die spell for 5e. <laughs> Does it have less than 100 hit points? Yes. Well, it's gone now. What, what is the spell level versus uh, disintegration? Nine. <laughs> this is a nine. Uh, not off the top of my head. I'm just gonna look it up. Disintegration. Brad is racing you to look it up. Well, trust me, your internet over there is probably better than him. Yeah, six. Is... Boom. But this one doesn't kill you. It does just a, like ten d six plus forty force damage. So. At most, 100 damage. Yeah. So even even if you had perfect rolls, it would only be nearly as effective as Power Word Kill. But not completely, because you can still make death saving throws if that succeeds. Yeah, I'm just having a quick look. Actually, at higher levels, you can add 3d6 for each slot above 6th. So you can actually really throw it out there. And, but it does have a dexterity saving throw. So, I mean, this is, yeah, pretty similar. Okay, cool. Word. Now, um, the other thing we, we did want to talk about this week, or, or the, 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 the intri- well, maybe the main topic, um, is accessibility in games. I'm all for it. Let's do it. I, I think it's... All right. Well, that's settled. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, we talked about... Yeah, okay, cool. Everyone, uh, yes, that's our theory. Um, you should do what you can to make your game playable by as many people as possible while doing your best to retain the fun, enjoyment, and spirit of, that, of said game in an environment right. where everyone feels accepted and loved. Well. Okay, cool. Oh, um, <laughs> shit, that was easy. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, th- there's a couple of things I'd bring to the table. One is there's not a lot of accessibility stuff in vanilla 5e, which I think is not great. Um, you know, admittedly, look, I don't think about it because I'm okay. You know, I have no visual or other physical things preventing me from getting into this. It is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So this kind of thing is actually something that I... I wish I had felt stronger about before, but now I'm starting to, which I think is cool. Yeah. See? Yeah. Things from other people's Learning perspectives. Is... Yeah. Lifelong process. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Empathy. Yeah, and accessibility. <clears throat> accessibility is also not just uh, about you know uh, physical disabilities, but also making sure that it's a it's a game that people feel safe playing. Uh, mm. That that I think is a big thing that that we've discussed in America. You know, creating a space that's accessible by anyone in in any you know social group. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm. When we played um, Power Outage with Beebs, the wonderful thing about that book is it actually has a whole section on accessibility and kids with things like ADHD. Like, okay, how you bring this to kids, how you get how you get kids to come to this as well, which is a very very cool thing to have, because I I really do suspect as a parent it's sometimes difficult to get your kid to sit down initially. But when they discover how much fun this is, they usually don't be quiet about it, and they're all they're all in, and that's really really wonderful. But it's it's really cool to actually have accessibility tools built in because it also says, from the creator's point of view, I give a shit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing to do. Um, and he actually the other oh, thing is no good. You just said uh, there's rules for things like people with ADHD. And as a kid with ADHD, a kid is hardly an apt descriptor anymore. As a person with ADHD, as an entity with ADHD, uh, my eyes went super wide and I got super excited. Uh, It was the same thing I felt when I read the Percy Jackson series, right? Because if there's there's a kid, there's a person, there's an option there for me. Um, He has ADHD and they make it into a superpower. It's kind of awesome. Um, And so. that feeling, I think, is at the crux of accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to not just... It's not just inclusivity. It's allowing everyone that same extent to be like, Oh, that's so cool! And that's a thing about me that's cool! And <laughs> it's in this game that I'm... Or this pretend thing that I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm getting really loud because I'm getting sick. That's <laughs> fair, yeah. <laughs> it is, no. Um... Um, sorry, one thing I did want to say is Beeb's actually recommended two people to speak to regarding accessibility. Um, if, I mean, you wanted to bring that into your project, one is um, a person whose Twitter handle is at D-O-T-S-R-P-G, and uh, the other is... Josh just had it in front of him. Where is it? Oh, there we are. Um, and at Accessible Games. So this is two people that kind of work with these things, which is great. Um, uh, they, from what I can see, they also do also a lot of work with people who are visually impaired as well. Um, you know, braille dice, that kind of thing. Um, I remember a while ago, I kind of put my name down to run game to run a game for visually impaired people, and for me, it was one of those cases where I had no idea what to do, and I remember asking in a, in a Discord group that I'm part of in one of my rare Discord communication things because I very rarely do it. And, and someone, like, some officious twat um, pretty well said, oh, oh, why are you getting all up about this? Like, it's not that hard. It's like, well, no, if I ask, it's because I might think there's a good way to do it that I don't know about yet. Yeah. Is that an attitude? Why would, why would they want to shut you down for gaining more knowledge and for learning and for 
trying to include more people? What kind of person s- says, hey, you, you're trying to include all these people and have more fun and help these other people have fun? And I, th- I don't know how much we're allowed to curse on this <laughs> podcast. I, 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 think it's quite, I think it's quite entirely possible that they saw me as an entitled, privileged, white, straight white dude. Which is, look, all that's true. I'm not arguing. Um, but it's kind of like, look, um, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. What exactly, like, I, I don't think, I think that person's reaction is the kind of reaction that we never want to see at our table. And I think it's like, okay, everyone, we're taking a five-minute break right now. You, me, we're going to have a little talk. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, don't th- I don't think this is a group where we necessarily have that problem. Possibly yeah. the opposite. No, I don't think so. <clears throat> see, seeing stuff like that is really frustrating. And I think for a while, I kind of lived in a vacuum where I didn't believe that things like that happened and I didn't believe that people like that existed. Uh, and so I never really thought of it as a problem. Uh, and being so present in the D and D Twitter community has opened my eyes to a lot of like, just un- I like unbelievably bad behavior that I think I just don't bear witness to very often because from the perspective of most of the people that I've seen that use this behavior, I am a protected class. You know, I would never be a target of that behavior, and so I don't see it. And because I don't see it, yeah. it's easy to, to think that it doesn't exist until somebody else that is the victim of it starts to put it in your face and say, like, hey, right. look at this. This is happening all the time. And by protected and class, do you mean the ranger? <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing protecting the ranger. <laughs> it will they feel like that. That's why they got that, like, <laughs> new healing ability. <laughs> yeah. um, there is definitely a difference between somebody saying hey you should do some of this work on your own mm-hmm. right it's, it's, uh, it is our responsibility to do some work on our own to be inclusive and accessible there's a difference between someone saying that and what it sounds like this person was saying to you which is uh, it's not important it's not important. Yeah. Yeah, fuck off if you're even trying. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. Again, I don't know how much we're allowed to curse on this podcast. Oh, look, this is Australian PG, which is like American R. <laughs> oh, good to know. Um, yes, we are foul mouth people. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And you like, don't want us to do a marker expansion with you? <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't no. want to write it. Yeah, like... Oh, okay. I'll, I have two children, Brad. I have a full-time job, and I run three podcasts. All right, that's fair. Yeah. It sounds like you have enough time to write one expansion at 200 pages. (laughs) (laughs) It's due by Monday. Good luck. Everyone, the visual gag Um, there was that I just gave Jaren the finger. Um, (laughs) I deserved it. Well, maybe. Um, Look... There's a couple of people that brought brought some stuff up as well, and there's one by the name of Everwatch. I'm not sure if that's LLC or IIC, um, but, you know, I'll give it a shout-out. Um, this person said, for special needs, they considered creating sign language reference guides for the most common items, actions, and descriptions. And I thought, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, in, in Pathfinder... The drow, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the natural language of drow is sign language. Is sign language. Yeah. 
And it's it's super cool. Because when I first started playing Pathfinder, that, like, that was something that I hadn't really... I'd lived in a bubble pretty much my entire life mm-hmm. up until that moment. Um, very small bubble. Not a lot of breathing <laughs> room. Uh, and that was one of the first accessibility things I'd ever really been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And it was super cool to see that so integrated. Um, Actually, that and Yeti were like my two go-to languages for yeah. Pathfinder from then on. I also saw, uh, I think it was James Crawford uh, talking a bit about, uh, somebody had asked the question, hey, you know, I, I play a character, I play a, uh, a caster character who is, uh, is uh, mute, is deaf and mute. And yeah. they yeah, 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 yeah. were asking about verbal and somatic components being combined. And he said, I mean, yeah, if, if you're speaking your language while you're casting, uh, then I don't see why sign language couldn't be both a verbal and somatic component. That makes perfect sense to me. Somebody responded to that tweet and was like, basically came up with a whole set of mini rules for it. Yeah. So like... Um, if you're restrained, you can't cast spell, but you're basically immune to Mute. the not anti-magic zone. But um, the the yeah the si- cone of silence or whatever, um, which I thought was a super cool way to. Uh, oh, is that the dyslexic friendly character sheet? Yes. Okay. Th- Sorry, this is um, okay. Thing. <laughs> for for people who aren't watching my screen, which is um, everyone except. Literally yeah, everyone, it's not two. us. Um, yeah. And there's a graphic design artist by the name of um, Francita, whose um, Twitter thing I will read out in a second. Um, the reason... Uh, give me a sec. I'll get it right now. Um, here we are. Uh, yeah, it's at by Francita. So at B-Y-F-R-A-N-C-I-T-A. Um, and she made a character sheet for a child with dyslexia for fifth ed. And I love this thing. I really, really do because it, um, I mean, it's not finished. It's a bit, it's, it's kind of in draft, but I mean, for strength, it's got a woman of color flexing a muscle. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. And it, it has a really, really cool combination of, um, words and little pictograms. Um, you know, I love inspiration. It just says, I did something awesome, and it's got, like, a little star with a cool tail. And this is also, like, an accessibility thing. Because, I mean, as as much as we look at character sheets and say, look, everything you need to know is on here, the ability to read one of those quickly and effectively, for some people, that's like, you have no idea. That is just not something I can't do. So I think this is another cool tool, and and I think everyone should go give her money and buy these kind of things off her, because... That's going to make other people's lives much easier. Yeah. Uh, there's another game uh, that I backed on uh, Kickstarter a couple of months ago. I, I just looked it up to make sure that this was exactly what I thought it was. Uh, it's a game called Critical Core. Uh, mm-hmm. Critical Core is a, a tabletop role-playing game that is specifically designed to help teach children on the autism spectrum how to, uh, you know go through and handle social interactions and to gamify that so that it becomes fun to learn, uh, which is just ah, so awesome. I love tabletop games as a means of education. I love the the specificity of this particular game. Hmm. Uh, They are on Twitter as, I believe, Critical Core. Yeah, Critical Core RPG. 
<clears throat> Can you just um, send that to me in text? Because I'll make sure we give them the shout out in the notes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this game I am super eagerly anticipating. So if you or you anyone you know is is on uh, the spectrum, this I think is a great tool. I wish to God I had access to this as a kid because I can remember spending literal hours of my life uh, watching through YouTube tutorials of just like conversation about weather and just watching people talk about the weather because I had a fundamental misunderstanding of how of, of how to approach people, of what people talked about. I mean, I, I must have consumed hundreds of hours of content uh, just to try and be like what I, at the time, was thinking like, oh, this is what normal people should do. Well, you know, a really problematic mindset, but I was also 15. Uh, so I was kind of, I had a lot to yeah. learn. Uh, but I wish I had had something like this. Yeah. Sorry, that was just someone kicking the shit out of the room next door. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I think teaching people how to converse, like, in some ways would, like, save us so much trouble later on. Because, I mean, you, you hear about these guys who... Um, Robert Evans at Behind the Bastards is a really, really good um, example of this. He was... Um, having a bit of a chat, I don't know if it was Behind the Bastards or if it was Worst Year Ever, where he was actually saying, look, I came from a background that was really, really racist and really dumb, and it was only when I started to get to know people in person that had conflicting views, and it took me out of my bubble, and I actually learned how to talk to people and how to be friends with people in, in person that it's, it, it prevented me going down a very, very bad road. And I, I think that's actually, guys, look, if there are tools that can help us do that or to teach people help to do that, um, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the theme, I think, of, of Accessibility Night on, on mm. uh, Better Homes is uh, pop your bubbles. You know, make the effort to expose <laughs> yourself to... Uh, you know, other people's perspective. When we say expose yourself, we, we don't mean take your pants <laughs> off, keep them on. Just this is true. Yeah, that, that doesn't uh, get you anywhere. Open yourself, open yourself up to other people's perspectives. Uh, yes. And I think you stand to learn a lot. And I think that you can apply that knowledge in order to make the world a better place, in order to make your game more accessible to more people. Uh, this is a, a win-win all around. Yeah. Um, the last shout-out goes to Dave who I'm promoting from a chill owl to the chill owl. I believe they now deserve the definite article. Um, they're saying they had a conversation with a worker about their first, about her first time playing D&D. It was not great. Um, and this is actually something that I've noticed as well, like trying to teach people board game rules. If you play a lot of these games, you quickly learn the language, and it's really easy to start like going from one to the next. But for someone who's never walked into this, it can be really, really tricky. Um, and his solution is have a session zero and set expectations, which is something we spoke about where we're saying, look, you can play an instant, this is going to kill your game. But if someone walks in expecting happy fun time um, with my good friends that I'm safe and suddenly, you know, hey, can you roll a D20? Sure. Oh, that's a two. Oh, you're dead. Bye. Um, that person is probably never going to come back. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I like what they say here. I, I like that he says, um, 
Ask them what kind of game they want to play. Find out what the boundaries are. Field questions. Handhold. Explain rules. Um, I mean, I did a lot of this in the first podcast campaign that I ran, and the only reason I would ever tell people is, look, don't listen to that, is because I'm not happy with myself as a dungeon master in a lot of ways. And because, you know, self-deprecation is kind of what we Australians do. Um, <laughs> but it was a learning... It's, it's also like, this is how a bunch of people who had not really played D&D learned how to play D&D. And as the dungeon master, there is a certain amount of weight that is on you to have enough of an understanding of the rules where you can say to people, okay, what do you want to do? Okay, here's how you do that. Okay, here's the dice. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, in my earliest days DMing 5th edition, prior to having a lot of exposure to it, Brad was that person for me. Even though I was the DM, Brad, as a player, was the one saying, hey, uh, this player wants to do this. Here's how this is done in the rule book. Uh, you can look it up if you want. I'll, I'll explain it to you if you want. He was really useful in that way. Brad sounds like a good guy. It's he like the one like way him. in which I'm useful. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think the other thing that you sort of touched on uh, that I have been meaning to bring up this whole time, but I keep forgetting to. Uh, there was a cons- uh, RPG consent form mm. yes, going around. Yes, talked about this a long time. Yeah, oh. this is fantastic. Okay. Um, that's a sort of accessibility Yes, that's super important is not... Uh, and you said, like, uh, not having someone die, making sure that you're creating a safe space for them to sort of express themselves through this mm-hmm. character, which may involve a lot of man and massacre. Yeah. Uh, but that, I just, that made me think about that. Um, I think I was going someplace, but I lost it. Well, I think the concept <laughs> of the RPG consent form is about making your game accessible to people who might have triggers. Um, because, mm-hmm. the, I mean, those are a big deal, right? And you don't want to, like Josh said, scare someone away from from tabletop roleplay gaming because it's it's designed to be for a lot a lot of people play RPGs as an escape right or as a means of of coping it's kind of it's kind of a therapeutic thing so you know even the originators did it exactly Gargax and Arnson played it as a sort of way to escape from the yeah And, and I think the consent form kind of opens that up to more people I think that gives them the ability to play along with people who maybe don't have some of those limitations uh, or, or, or issues. And, I mean, it's just having a session zero, doing the, the consent discussion, even if you don't do the full form, but just, just a discussion about it can just preemptively solve so many problems. There's really no reason not to do it. No, I agree. I mean, we tend to see the best in each other, like when it comes to role playing, when we feel comfortable to be vulnerable. Like, um, I actually have a ground rules um, sheet that's got my five, you know, the, the, the five basic ground rules, and the first is, don't be a dick. A- How does that work in Australia? <laughs> pause on Josh's face. <laughs> Josh is confused. Um, it hurt itself in its confusion. Ah! Um, <laughs> look, it... I think everyone, it's one of those things where it's a rule that I really just put down and said, look, don't beat it. May not need to be said, but it's always a good thing for us to put out there first 
and make sure that none of us want to be a dick to each other. Um, now that, yep. that, that can change because ultimately someone's character arc is going to be, well, they're, they're a bit of a dick. But there's also levels and limits and lines to where dickishness is funny and cool and we're having a laugh and where it's, no, we're going to stop for five minutes. You and I can have a chat about why that was not okay. And then we can all move on. I just double-checked the Monsters of America Discord, and in fact, our number one rule is also, don't be a dick. Verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a good rule. I mean, I think it's a good, it's a good rule one to have. Yeah, I think so. But also, I mean, from, I the, from a, the... Oh, sorry, Brad. I was going to say, I think it's a good rule one to have, too. Because it's uh, sort of like uh, disturbing the peace, which is sort of a bullshit rule that we have here mm-hmm. in the States. Um, the cops can arrest you in the event that you're being a dick. And uh, having a reason to... Uh, and you never want to do this, obviously. But if someone is being a dick, you have that there, their protection to be like, hey, we think you're being a dick. Don't come next Thursday. Right. Um, to the session. Not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, good, good thing to be specific on. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if, yeah. No, let's leave that there. Um, and speaking of leaving things there, unfortunately, that is pretty well my lunchtime. Um, guys, I do want to say thank you. Where can people track down your stuff? Uh, they can follow me and more about Monsters America uh, at Jaron R M Johnson on Twitter or at www.monstersamerica.com dot mm-hmm. uh, They can find me on Twitter at Dread. Pie, like what you eat. Rat, like the animal. Um, all those words are capitalized. At Dread Pie Rat. At Dread Pie Rat. I love it. Uh, I'm on Facebook and look for Monster America. Yes. I threw a couple of words in there. Excellent. And uh, I, of course, can be found at Nerdy People D and D. We have sister shows. The music is from Kevin McLeod at Incomtech. Um, please check out those campaigns. They're really good. Everyone, thank you very much. Bye. Thanks. Thank you.